Welcome to the Monsters and Treasure podcast, where we talk way too long about a subject and just give you the best parts. I'm K.R. King, and as always, I'm with Daniel Norton. Hey there, K.R. And today is a special edition where we're going to go over some of the correspondence and messages we've received since starting our podcast. We have an email from Jeff, uh, and this is regard to our uh, podcast on The Hateful Place. And Jeff says, hello, I watched your adventure design video for The Hateful Place. I've had the books for a while, and I appreciate you going through creating an adventure. I like that there are lots and lots of tables in the books, and seeing you go through the process of putting an adventure together is helpful. If you're ever looking for a player for a game of The Hateful Place, please let me know. I've been running Dungeon Crawl Classics off and on for seven years, Savage Worlds, and a few other games here and there, and I'd like to give The Hateful Place a go as a player. Thanks. Well, I'd say this one is more dedicated to you, Daniel, since you are... This is your adventure design video. Oh, yes. They're all dedicated to me. Don't you know that? <laughs> yes, they are. Um, okay. So thanks, Jeff. That's awesome. Uh, you know, it's funny. I, I like to, I love the Hateful Place, as we've probably, we've probably learned. And I also just love those random tables. And, and I sometimes use them for other games as well. I like the idea of the mini game that it creates, where you roll a bunch of dice, and then you look at it, and you go... None of that makes sense, but hold on. Maybe it does make sense and you can kind of create it. So yeah, great game. Uh, if you haven't already uh, joined the Discord server, there is a looking for groups section in there. And I will eventually, as I, as the gear kind of moves forward, I will actually start to try to run some games for people in there um, when my schedule clears up because I am always down for some hateful place. Uh, are you going to play with us, KR? Uh, I'd like to. I, I had fun that one time and I heard from some of your group that had played some other Hateful Place scenarios and one-shots, uh, really fun. You could, It seemed like everybody just had a great time on those, so I look forward to that. Yeah, I wonder, is this like a certain liberation, I think, to not worry about the characters long-term, which, of course, we've talked about when we talked about the Hateful Place episode. So if people did not listen to that episode yet, check it out. And when you hear our upcoming podcast on Boot Hill, you'll get more of the same of that freedom uh, that an adventure like that gives you. Freedom is just nothing left to lose, right? All right, so we also have some calls from Jason from the Nerds RPG Variety Cast. So let's see what Jason has to say. Hey guys, Jason here from Nerds RPG Variety Cast. Just heard your episode on why monsters shouldn't always attack. And I wholeheartedly agree. We, we did this discussion a while back on my podcast talking about, you know, players being captured and should players surrender when facing overarching over odds. And Daniel actually took part in that. And yeah, I, I think a lot of this really comes down to a session zero and expectations thing. You, your players have to know that surrender is, is an option and an expectation in your world, that they're just not going to get eaten by the orcs, right? Um, the, but because if you look at the fiction our games are based on, surrender is normal, but most players aren't going to do it. And the same thing with not just always attacking, the same, you know, paying that toll or doing whatever. I also think, you know, folks don't want to read. They can go watch How the West Was Won, which does the whole riverboat thing that we talked about near the end of the episode. It, it actually has a great action sequence around riverboat pirates. Um, but great episode. Really happy there's a new podcast to listen to. And I like the length. You know, the, the shorter length is good because sometimes some of us, <clears throat> no comment, are a little bit too long-winded. So... Welcome to the Anchor Sphere. 
I wish you guys the best, and I look forward to your future shows. That yeah, was a pretty nice uh, first call uh, in which, you know, talking about the, the different things we had there, which was surrender and uh, I, the river bolts. I'm going to have to look for that and how the West was won because that is one of my favorite periods of the West. They had the flat boats out in the river. Yeah, that's really interesting. Jason always brings something insightful to the uh, thing. I think he may have been throwing a little shade on me there because whenever I'm on Jason's show, the show becomes two hours long because I am definitely long-winded. <laughs> really? I hadn't noticed. <laughs> All right. Yeah, so yeah, I mean, you know, I think that what's interesting is I think the longer you play or the more you play, and again, this is not to, to, to sound negative towards people that are new to the game, I think you start to realize that, right, surrender being captured, paying tolls, having role play it is really fun. And it may be your initial instinct when you first start playing the game is to stab everybody who gets in front of you. But I think that for many people that grows old really quickly. And uh, you do find that no matter what the system, no matter who's playing, after a while, people just get much more into the, what would we want to do in the fiction? Not so much, you know, who can I slay as quickly as possible? And, you know, it's funny in my live play game, I had two bandits surrender after their chieftain was killed and my players did not just slay them, even though they had attacked them without provocation, they did take all their stuff and the two had to basically run off into the wilderness in their underwear. <laughs> and later they noticed buzzards circling, but uh, they did seem to understand when these guys surrendered. Uh, that was, yeah, I, I, actually that's a really good point. I don't know if we made this point during the podcast is that, demonstrating things as a GM is a great way to show you that it's real in the world, right? Having somebody surrender to the player characters early on in the campaign lets them see that, oh, this is a thing, you know? All right, so we got more calls from Jason. This, These are about healing. Hey, guys, Jason here. Why wouldn't the gods heal everybody? Well, I mean, it's tricky, right? And I, I do the same thing Daniel does. Typically, I'll play sword and sorcery, so it's irrelevant. Doesn't just doesn't happen in those worlds. But... In a high magic world, it's definitely something you need to address. And and, and it's tricky <laughs> to do. And I think there's also an issue in some games allow characters to worship concepts instead of instead of God. So, you, you know, oh, well, you don't have to be a paladin of a certain God. You can just be a paladin of, I, I don't know. I don't play those games. I'll let you do that. But I think 5e and Pathfinder let you do that kind of stuff. So maybe you guys can talk about that. But you, you, <laughs> it's... One of those things, if you're the guy to heal, you know, or the, the concept of healing is, is what you worship, then, yeah, why aren't you healing everybody, right? Um, so I don't know. It's a it's a tricky subject that I avoid by not playing high fantasy. Uh, that, that That is actually a really interesting. There was a whole uh, – sorry, kind of in the middle of it. There was a uh, a whole, like, debate or, or concept going on a while back about whether or not you needed to have a deity as a paladin in 5th edition. I can't remember the if it worked out that you had to or not. You know, because people start reading the, the the words very specifically, um, but but it did come out that I believe it was Pathfinder, and I'm not again I'm not an expert in this. And also, I think third edition, where you literally didn't like you could like the your thing that gives you your power might be pride, or I'm picking pride. That's probably not one of them, but you know something like that. Do you know much about that? Well, it's funny because I played uh, third edition uh, extensively. I had a, a character that was a paladin, and since he worshipped a god, and since I didn't play a paladin i did, wasn't aware of this i'm gonna to have to go and do some research so thank you jason because i'm interested in uh this whole concept such because it seems to me that 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 tr that turns it into almost a one-man avenger kind of thing which you have in sort of comic book heroes and things you know i don't know 
daredevil or I can't think, but you know, you, we've all seen those guys and that's, that's what this paladin becomes, but obviously he has mystical powers, but not coming from a God, whether you like that or don't or whatever, it just to me seems kind of an interesting idea. Right. I mean, would that be, <laughs> I feel like this is another episode, so I'm just going to throw this out there and then we'll leave it. Yes. We'll, 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 would that not be just a Eldritch Knight? Right, a, a fighter with magical powers. So we could. Let's I talk mean, about that. this is really. I think he's he's opened up a, an interesting idea to explore a little farther. There is. So that may be a future podcast. There. Let us know if you guys want to hear our thoughts on paladins versus eldritch knights versus I don't know non eldritch knights. I guess. All right. Let's see. There's a second part to this. Of course, if you do have gods that depend on the amount of worshippers they have and things like that, and there are plenty of settings to do that kind of thing. I consider a politics part. I'm, I'm not, I, I just don't play long enough term campaigns where that matters usually. But if you are in that, then obviously what you want to do is have the young upstart religion heal everybody. And, and, and then they start stealing the worshipers of the gods the players follow, right? And, or you get the, or the king orders these cleric, this cult be put down because they're stealing the worshipers, you know, away from the god of the kingdom. So if you have an upstart or maybe that upstart religion is actually, you know, an evil cult that's decided we're going to heal everybody. And and what do you do with that? Right. You know, it's an evil cult, but they're healing everybody. So how do you dissuade the po- population from joining it? Right. Blood on the Satan's claw. So, you know what? That's a very interesting idea. I, I really like the fact that an evil cult that promises people, you know, healing, you know, does things that in terms of the establishment cult, uh, or the establishment religion, they're <clears throat> only healing those that can make a, you know, a donation or are powerful. But here, this cult that has some nefarious final goal or whatever it is that you defining them as evil uses these healing powers to get the populace behind them. No, that's actually brilliant. I was going to say we should probably just delete that uh, call so I can use that in my campaigns and claim that it was my idea. But now I guess we can't do that. <laughs> no, that's really great. I love that idea because it's like, right. So this cult might want to weaken the structure, the political structures so they can take over, right? So it's like a long-term plan. Because we often talk about, and we've talked about this before, when you talk about like evil campaigns, like what is evil? Do they stab themselves in the back, whatever? But this could be something where people that are involved in it don't even know that they're doing something that ultimately is evil. So that that's a really clever uh, premise. Another thing that he brings up that I think is important is when you start thinking about heals and what advantage that healing everyone would give you in a society, you start to get into the issue of why are the gods healing? Why are they giving these powers and in, in, in what volume, which you may not want to get into. Uh, you may say, I don't, the gods are supposed to be inscrutable and whatnot. But I would say that if you, if you created a cult that was doing this, an evil cult that just started giving out this healing power, that in theory, all the gods have, right? All the gods can just raise people up or lower them down. But there are rules as to how they behave in the material plane, whatever that is, because otherwise it would just be the gods manipulating us like marionettes or something. And that's a mystery as to why that is. That's a mystery in the real world, and it's one in the world of D&D. So it's kind of you bump up against that. Right. I think a lot of times it's best just not to ask the questions, right? I mean, that that's that's really what it comes down to. We, it was a, It's a fun conversation, but... If you try to build your world in that depth where you're trying to explain why the gods are doing that, I think it can just, yeah, it's a, it's a, uh, it's a twisty past that, the, that doesn't lead anywhere. <laughs> All right, so there is one more call. 
Uh, and by the way, I just want to note that this call is, I haven't listened to it yet, but it is labeled Daniel is right. So I like that. So I, I'm, so I'm going to say this might be... I'm dismissing it out of hand, but uh, I, I will just listen to it since it is a <laughs> This might be the most important call of the entire show here. Let's see. <laughs> hey guys, Jason here. Enjoyed the railroad episode. I am pretty much in camp with Daniel here. I think railroads are mostly bad, although you can make an argument maybe for a teaching one shot or a convention scenario. But the linear adventure, I think it's bad press. As long as you have player buy-in, yeah, the goal of the adventure is to go kill that vampire. Then, you know, if they go off on side quests and all, that's cool. So I, I pretty much agree with Daniel Hill. I will say that as shown in the story, you know, told in the episode, honestly, players really don't mind if they manage to one-shot or knock a villain out pretty quickly. I think the only person that really gets worried about that are DMs. Now, if it happens every session, that's different. But for the most part, if players manage to solve something easily, players are really happy, like Daniel and his crew were happy when they rescued the princess. So I, I think that's more of a DM issue than a player issue. Well, I'm not sure what well, what our disagreement was in that we're the right or wrong thing, but well, uh, I think maybe we probably you have a agreed, but because I, you know, but clearly I was right. I mean, the only thing I can think of, I was thinking about the story I told of a GM that was running and we killed his villain. So he had the twin brother appear, uh, the twin sorcerer. But I certainly wasn't agreeing with that. I'm not quite sure. Uh, so again, I'll accept that you were right, but I have no idea exactly why, <laughs> where we disagreed on anything in there. I guess I'll have to listen to my own podcast again to figure that out. You know, I think this is interesting with the, is more of a DM thing, because I do think that's true. I think we were actually saying that about something else earlier, uh, before we were recording, of course, uh, a, where like DMs pay way more attention to certain things than players do. I do think if it becomes a regular thing, like every big bad guy that they fight, they kill in one shot. You do start realizing, oh, hmm, maybe this is that. But that doesn't necessarily make it less fun. I don't really know. It depends on the players, I suppose. But if if they occasionally can overcome something, and, and especially when, because, you know, my players can usually tell because I, I get, uh, I mean, not mad, but I, you can tell. I'm like, oh, <laughs> when they just figure something out. And, and I still let them do it, obviously. I don't, like, try to manipulate it. And I think they they love that. They're just like, oh, yeah, we just totally thwarted his plans and screw Daniel. We don't care that he made all this planning. We killed that guy and we're happy to do it. And you know what? In the end, I'm happy as well. Well, and it's other interesting thing is I always run a total sandbox. So for me, what happens if the players ignore something or go in a different direction, I just have whatever that was start forward in time and I track time. So that whatever those, whatever those, whether well, it was a, the monster or villain or NPC, whatever they were going to do, just they, they just do without the player's influence. So for me, you know, I'm try to be as non railroady as I can uh, just because that's the kind of stuff. That's the style of game I play. So if I'm going to play that, I have to just allow, I have to allow the players to drive the story in a way with their actions. And when I say drive the story, I don't say create the story. I just say they set things in motion. And then these uh, NPCs or monsters, then, then act according to their motives and their goals. Uh, but it does depend on what the players have done, either ignored them or engaged them or whatever. Oh, I like that you seem to have a difference between drive the story and create the story. Perhaps that's another topic. <laughs> yes, because yeah. I got into a dispute with another one of your uh, faithful viewers when we did a thing that said, Kevin's totally wrong. The players cannot create the story. And, you know, and I'm like, what are you talking about? I, you know, I'm creating the world. But... It's their actions. They are the antagonist and protagonist, right? Because they're yeah. otherwise it's just they're just imaginary things. I mean, I guess you could sit in your room and have characters talking to one another, but <laughs> players are 
are the real life people. If you're doing that, have fun. It'll be another yeah. topic. I'm playing D and D totally by myself, and you know, anyway. Well, you know that that's yeah that that's a whole other topic. <laughs> I, I am playing a solo play game, but I'm usually not talking to myself except for to swear when I roll badly with the dice. But I, I will <laughs> yes. say that uh, yeah, I think what's interesting is somebody you know, and again, it's all very uh, how you want to say things. You know, people always talk about phrasing. But somebody posted on a video recently. They said something about the fact that what what happens during the the game is the I can't remember what they called it, but then they said the story is what you tell after. And I thought that was just a really interesting way to say it, right? Like, so there's not really a story until the players play. So in that sense, everybody's making the story together. At least that's how I feel. Exactly. Cool. Exactly. All right. Well, that was the uh, the lot of the calls. If you'd like to hear your voice on the show, give us a call. There's a link in the show notes. You can find us both on YouTube, KR at D&D Homebrew, and myself at Bandits Keep. Those are all linked in the show notes. And if you'd like to support the show, please give us a rating and a review on your favorite podcatcher. We'll see you next week.